I'm Talib Vizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll learn about how some companies are adjusting their advertising game, why the LA Clippers are helping change the way people watch sports, and some self-care tips for working moms. This is your Fast Break. We've been in lockdown for about a month and a half now, and everybody's going a little bit stir-crazy, to say the least. Companies are also grappling with the upheaval, and while some are nailing it, others are whiffing big time. Jeff Beer fills us in on which brand hit and which one missed this week. It's a nice song and a lovely sentiment. The problem is, it really feels a few weeks too late. The miss goes to Coca-Cola, who rolled out a music video called To The Human Race, which sounds about as calculated to hit you in the feels as it actually is. Forget about all the logistics involved of getting a spot like this together for a global brand, because you know what? Outside of the company, no one really cares. What people do notice is that by now, every single pandemic ad is starting to blend together. Since 1926, Nationwide has been on your side. We've been there in person during trying times. Hi, it's Jan from Toyota. We know how important it is to have a safe, reliable vehicle right now. So Toyota is here to help. Because if we don't treat restaurants like family today, they might not be around to treat us like family tomorrow. Grubhub. Together, we can help save the restaurants we love. So it's not the ad here itself that's so bad but really the lack of awareness of how much more effective it would have been last month and the lack of agility to pull that off. Add to that the cumulative effect of our commercial culture right now just being overcome with in these difficult, hard, tough times. And it's a recipe for click and skip. By now, we're all in this together all right, collectively rolling our eyes every time an ad like this pops up in our feed. So how can brands best advertise right now without getting lumped into everything that's come before, but also not appearing tone deaf to what's going on? One potential answer is having Ryan Reynolds as your part owner and spokesperson. And believe me, Mint Mobile is thanking the brand gods that it just happens to be in that exact situation. Hey there, it's Ryan Reynolds, new owner of Mint Mobile. Uh, A few weeks ago, we were in the middle of shooting an epic first commercial. Let's take a look. Introducing. That's as far as we got before. Yeah. Instead, we get a fun PowerPoint presentation, but we also get a peek at Reynolds's desktop with folders like sequels for Just Friends and Van Wilder. He also pie charts his own filmography, breaking it down by plot holes, nobody saw, made some sense, and French translation landed. Overall, Here Reynolds is just channeling the same meta-advertising approach that's been so successful for his other company, Aviation Gin. Remember his turducken of advertising when he put an aviation ad inside a Netflix ad inside a Samsung ad? It's probably too early to tell if the Aviation Gin playbook will work for mobile phone plans, but the signal is strong if this is what he can come up with from home. That's it. Let us know your brand hit and misses of the week. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Exactly two months ago, the NBA suspended its 2019 to 2020 season out of concern for the health of its players and fans. As the league determines its next steps, LA Clippers owner and former Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer, has been helping launch a revolutionary technology that might alter the way people watch sports. Here to explain why this tech may be a slam dunk is Fast Company senior editor, Amy Farley. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Tyler. Before we jump into exactly what this technology is and how it works, let's talk about how Balmer became involved. Sure. So in 2013, when Balmer was still the CEO of Microsoft, he tried to put together a bid to buy the Sacramento Kings, another NBA team, and move them to Seattle. That fell through, but in 2014, he had a chance to buy the LA Clippers. So he jumped on it. He ended up, though, paying $2 billion for the team, which is nearly four times as much as anybody had ever paid for an NBA franchise. So it was not a cheap purchase. Wow. So one of the things that always fascinates me about American sports in particular is they already involve so many intricate stats and numbers floating around. And now we're talking about incorporating more player tracking data into the games. When did that idea come about? So when Balmer took over the Clippers in 2014, the team was already working with this company called Second Spectrum, which had recently started selling its proprietary enhancements of player tracking data to several other teams, including the Clippers. Basically, what it did was take the raw player tracking data, which it gathers from cameras planted around basketball arenas, and turns them into the kinds of stats that resonate with coaches and managers like the correlation of a player's position on the court and the likelihood of his team getting an offensive rebound. Second Spectrum, by the way, is so skilled at this that now it basically provides this data for all of the teams in the NBA. But this really piqued Ballmer's interest because he's a tech geek at heart and he wanted to learn more about it. So he turned to the CEO of the company, a guy named Rajiv Maheswaran, and asked for a demo. And when Rajiv gave him the demo, he floated a bigger vision past Balmer beyond all of this interesting player tracking data. He said, what if we use machine learning and basically created a system that understands what's happening on the court in real time and then overlays that view of the game with this data? So basically, what if we offered a game broadcast that was enhanced with statistics? And that really got Balmer's interest. So what does this actually look like for fans and how can they use it? Right. So the product is called Clippers Court Vision, and that launched in fall of 2018. It's available only to a select group of fans who can stream games on their smartphones, tablets, and laptops and watch this sort of augmented view of the games. So you can toggle between three views. In one view, you see the X's and O's of the offensive plays mapped out in real time. It's sort of superimposed over your screen view. In another, the chance that each offensive player has of making a shot is recalculated in real time and superimposed on the screen as the player moves around the court. And the third view is much more silly and sort of video game-like, and it involves lightning striking the basket when somebody slam dunks or like a floating three appearing in the air when there's a three-pointer. But the magic is that all of this is happening in real time, augmenting your view of the play. The big hitch, though, is that this is only available to 1,500 people right now. There is a regional sports network that owns the rights to broadcasting the Clippers games, 
and they don't want this technology to be used to create an over-the-top product that the Clippers can sell to their fans. So they're really hamstrung in getting this out to a wider group of people. But it certainly is a technology that's interesting to Clippers fans and also to bigger broadcasters who occasionally incorporate this technology into their game broadcasts. And how does the app actually work? What's really interesting about it is that it understands the game. Not only does it know all the players' statistical data, but it also understands amid all the chaos of a game, the patterns of players' movements around the court. So it can identify something like a weak side trap or an off-ball run. It can also continually calculate shot probabilities depending on where players are. And then it empowers AI to choose what to show on the screen at any given time. So it decides when somebody has a ball, if it's going to show you the stat, if it's going to show you the set the net on fire, what it's going to show you all in real time. This seems to come at a very propitious time for the NBA, since ratings were down about 12% even before play was suspended in March. I feel like I may get a bit of flack from the diehards here, but has basketball just become boring to watch? I think the game is more exciting than ever. It's just that there are so many entertainments out there and available to us at the touch of a screen. And so people just consume sports more casually and more on demand than they ever have before. You have things like House of Highlights that let you just catch a highlight package. You can watch a few minutes here and there on YouTube. So why tune into the entire broadcast? People are really used to personalization in their media. They're used to getting things on demand and traditional telecasts just don't deliver this. The key is, I think right now, is when professional sports do resume playing again, how are fans going to respond? Are we going to be so hungry for live broadcasts that we'll take anything? Are we going to expect more from our live broadcasts? The other twist and the other hitch is that when games resume, especially NBA games resume, they may be being played in empty arenas. So there could be more pressure on broadcasters to bring some magic to the game in ways they haven't had to do before. Sure. Well, the NBA and other sports leagues are are really answering a call to cater to their younger viewers with their wandering attentions. What else do you think it'll do in the future to keep them engaged? So NBA Commissioner Adam Silver is extremely foresighted, and he's definitely been keeping close tabs on people's changing consumption habits, and he definitely sees the league's future on phones and tablets. And just a few weeks ago in mid-April, the league announced a big partnership with Microsoft to create a digital platform that the league hopes will eventually provide the kind of personalized viewing experiences for NBA fans that Second Spectrum and the Clippers are already kind of delivering. They're not saying yet whether they're going to actually involve any of Court Vision's technology in the matter, but it is clear that the NBA has been watching very closely what Balmer and what Rajiv Mahaswaran and the Clippers have been doing out there in L.A. Just flipping back to Balmer's partner in all this, how did Second Spectrum get started? What inspired Rajiv Maheswaran to develop this kind of technology? Well, he grew up watching sports with his dad, and he studied applied math, physics, and computer engineering. And so when you have those two interests, and Michael Lewis's Moneyball appears on the scene in 2003 and introduces the world to the sports analytics revolution, he jumped right into that. So around that time, like all other sports teams, the NBA was mounting sensors inside its arena so that it could track all of its players and get that data. But they basically just had raw data at that time. As Rajiv describes it, it was sort of like somebody was handing the teams a bunch of grain and saying, here, take this, eat. But the teams didn't quite know what to do with that. So Rajiv became very skilled at figuring out 
how to teach the teams or how to do it for them to create bread from that grain. So he created these very interesting statistics and analysis that he could draw from all of that raw tracking data. And that's how Second Spectrum emerged and ended up becoming the provider to the NBA of all of this data. We're at the point where almost every single contender for an NBA championship this year is using our software, which is built on a machine that understands the moving dots of basketball. In fact, it doesn't even have to be about sports, because we're moving everywhere. Perhaps we can learn to better use our buildings, better plan our cities. I believe that with the development of the science of moving dots, we will move better, we will move smarter, we will move forward. This sounds especially exciting given the current moment when live events with large audiences have been cancelled. Does it look like we're headed for a virtual reality future in the world of sports? I have to say, probably not immediately. The problem is that all of the individual teams have contracts with regional sports networks and the NBA has contracts with big sports broadcasters. So it's going to be a while before they're offering over-the-top subscription services to fans. That said, all of the big broadcasters are looking at how to personalize their broadcast more because they are worried about losing fans. So I think we're going to see elements of this working their way into larger broadcasts. And definitely with that deal with Microsoft, we'll see the NBA being one of the first out of the gate offering its own digital viewing experiences. And are there any other ways this technology could be presented to audiences? Well, Rajiv Mahaswaran isn't stopping with the NBA. He has deals with Major League Soccer and the English Premier League to provide the kinds of statistics and advanced analysis of gameplay that he does for the NBA teams. So that definitely opens the door for offering augmented broadcasts in those leagues. So he's definitely looking into other sports. And Ballmer has been moving very aggressively to move his team out of the Staples Center, which the Clippers share with the LA Lakers, and into a new arena in the LA neighborhood of Inglewood. And he's looking at ways that he might incorporate some elements of these broadcasts into that arena. So definitely keep your eye on what Ballmer does and also Second Spectrum in the months to come because they are moving aggressively with this technology. Well, I'll definitely be keeping a lookout for Second Spectrum on the Premier League soccer field. It's all kind of mind-boggling even just to think about. It's certainly a leap from the days of only having a remote control for your TV. And I'm starting to feel old. Yeah, well, welcome to the future, Talib. <laughs> it was great having you on the show, Amy. Thanks. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to say I did my Mother's Day duties a long while back, two months ago, because us Brits celebrate our mums in March. And even though Mother's Day was yesterday here in the US, we thought we'd continue celebrating them today because, let's face it, don't they deserve a holiday all year long? Here are a few recommendations from some working moms we know. To kick it off, we'll hear from CEO and founder of Curls, Mahisha Dellinger, and Catherine McCord, founder of Weelicious. Happy Mother's Day! My tip for helping women all over the world feel more special, warm and fuzzy, is to literally snuggle with their woman fuzzy babies. After all, they are the reason why we're working so hard and doing what we do. So take the time out to connect with them and just relax and absorb their energy and their love. That's why we're here. My dream for Mother's Day this year, which also happens to be my birthday, is one simple thing. I don't need presents, gifts, I don't even need a card. 
What I really want is an at-home spa, just to be able to go to my bathroom, have bubbles, maybe some sea salts, a little face mask. I mean, wouldn't hurt if there was a mani-pedi by one of my kids or my husband, but just to relax, enjoy, read a book, decompress, because I can use it right about now. Hi, I'm Greg Renfrew. I'm the founder and CEO of Beauty Counter. And I was thinking about what is the thing that I've learned during this pandemic about being a mother and a CEO. And what I would say is that a small amount of your undivided attention goes a lot farther than a full day of you being half present. So focus on your job and then focus on your family and you'll find you'll get both done a lot better. Hi, Fast Company readers. My name is Sarah LaFleur and I'm the founder and CEO of MM LaFleur. We're a fashion brand for working women, and as a working woman myself, I think I can definitely relate to going through a lot of challenging times right now. You're just having to make so many adjustments, both at home and in the workplace. And for us, we're a retail company, so we've had to close all of our stores. There's a lot of shuffling around of, of people. It's definitely been challenging times. And one of the tips that I want to share today is how to keep in touch with your team, which is so important. I think especially in, during these times when you're having to make so many decisions quickly with very little information, tensions can run high and uh, it, it can be a very emotional process. And so what my executive team and I started doing was having these weekly mental health checks. So over Zoom, we share how we're doing, how we're feeling that day. And it just has a way of really helping you understand where the other person is coming from if you happen to get into tense discussions, which you know it happens often during these times. The more open you can be, the more open uh, the rest of your team will be with you. So give it a try, I highly recommend it. Hi, how are you? I'm Kate Ryder, I'm the founder and CEO of Maven. So what's one tip that I have to stay healthy and sane while being a working mother during this pandemic? I would say music is so important in the life of myself and my kids right now. So when I'm with my kids, we're having dance parties too. Moana by myself, you know, it could be a little bit of reggaeton in the car, a little bit of Nina Simone. I know very different, but definitely hit both moods. And baking is another thing, lots of cooking. My kids make wonderful things, I eat them, so we all win. And then finally, I just think it's really important to make sure that we're all gentle with ourselves right now. And so when I feel like turning on the TV for my kids and just having a glass of wine in the background, you know, doing a certain amount of that too. Hey everyone, Rebecca Minkoff here. Wanted to share a couple of my tips for moms who are doing it all. We're working, we're homeschooling, we're cooking, we're cleaning. So I decided to start really breaking up my day with chunks of dedicated time to one thing. So my morning is only phone calls so that I can just focus on my meetings, focus on the people. And then I have a two hour chunk where I am homeschooling my kids and making lunch. My husband and I alternate every day who cooks and then my husband takes over for a two hour chunk of homeschooling. It is not lost on me that bribery right now goes a long way. So if our kids really approach homeschool with a lot of enthusiasm at the end of the week, we do get them a toy, usually Legos, which also then takes up a lot more of their time, which frees us up. And then I kind of spend my afternoon either creating content or filming and then ending the day with lots of emails to catch up on. But I found that by batching my tasks, I can really get the most out of my brain power, my thoughts with my kids. And then at night I try and disconnect until the kids go to bed and then I'm back online because it's crazy right now. So I hope those batching tips help and 
definitely get some Legos. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Bizram. <laughs>